Bienvenidos to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Vanessa Bohm, with Nina Serrano and Julieta Kuznir. Tonight we have a packed show for our listeners. We'll be taking a look at important events happening in Mexico and hear about great opportunities for our listeners to check out Latino arts, culture, and music in the Bay Area. We'll hear about the 43 disappeared students in Mexico and the national outcry against the Mexican government. We'll also speak with La Peña Cultural Center about the upcoming production of In La Queche, Palabras de Corazón, a theatrical piece taking place on November 16th. This year's 33rd Encuentro Popular, a music festival not to be missed, is just around the corner and we'll hear from some of the performing artists and we will be featuring music you will get a chance to hear at the festival. And finally, listeners will have a chance to get more information about the Hilos de Amor sale, auction and celebration that will be taking place for one day only on November 15th. So make sure to stay tuned. But first, we begin with Noticias Sin Fronteras, News Without Borders, with our very own Vilma V. Buenas noches. This is Vilma V with Noticias Sin Fronteras, news headlines without borders from America Latina for the week ending November 9th. Venezuela. For the third time this year, Venezuelan President Nicolás Maduro announced an increase in the minimum wage for all workers. The 15% increase for workers' salaries goes into effect this December 1st. This follows a 45% raise in salary for all members of the Venezuelan Armed Forces, a move criticized by opponents of the Maduro administration. Maduro stated that he, quote, decided to accept the proposal from the workers to decree a 15% rise in the minimum salary. The Venezuelan economy currently experiences an annual inflation rate of over 60%. Mexico. Protests continued throughout the country over the disappearance and apparent mass murder of 43 students in the state of Guerrero. The fugitive former mayor of Iguala, Jose Abarca, and his wife, Maria de los Angeles Pineda, were located and arrested on November 4th in a working-class neighborhood of Mexico City. Pineda is accused of being one of the leaders of the narco-guerrilla group Guerreros Unidos, which apparently has controlled the city for many years. It is being reported that all the students, who were from a rural teacher's college in Ayotzinapa, were taken and killed near the town of Cocula, where their bodies were burned, and the remains dumped in a riverbank there. Today, vigils for the murdered students are being held across the country and internationally. Also in business news from Mexico, Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto abruptly canceled a billion-dollar contract with the China Railway Construction Corporation, or CRCC, last Friday. The contract was to construct a high-speed railway linking the Mexican capital with the historic city of Querétaro. Critics, including many Mexican lawmakers, accused the government of favoring the CRCC over bids from companies based in Germany, Canada, and France. In canceling the contract, Peña Nieto stated that he wanted to, quote, avoid any doubts about the legitimacy and transparency of the bidding process. Should Mexico complete the train project, it would be the first country in Latin America to build a bullet train since both Argentina and Brazil have postponed their own high-speed rail projects. Estados Unidos Republicans have taken control of both houses of Congress in last Tuesday's midterm elections. Immigration activists remain concerned about the fate of immigration reform and the record number of deportations from the United States. Lorella Preli, advocacy director for United We Dream, said, quote, There was a political miscalculation from the administration that delaying executive action would help them save the Senate. Immigration advocates vowed to step up the pressure on Obama when it comes to the immigration issue. Cuba. For the first time, the New York Times has taken a position on the release of the political prisoners known as the Cuban Five. In an editorial in early November, the New York Times proposed swapping the remaining three Cuban political prisoners for Alan Gross, an internet contractor who has been imprisoned in Cuba since 2009. The Times also advocated for the normalization of relations between Cuba and the United States. Argentina a judge in Argentina has requested that Spain arrest and extradite 20 former officials accused of abuses during the military rule of General Francisco Franco. 
Buenos Aires Judge Maria Servini de Cubria invoked the doctrine of universal jurisdiction when she issued the arrest and extradition warrants. The warrants are part of a 2010 investigation into alleged crimes against humanity and genocide in Argentina. The doctrine of universal jurisdiction was invoked when Chile's former dictator, Agosto Pinochet, was briefly detained in Spain back in 1998. The 20 people sought include two ministers of the Franco government's regime who currently cannot be tried in Spain because of an amnesty law. This has been a summary of some of the latest news headlines from America Latina. I'm Vilma V for Noticias Sin Fronteras and La Raza Chronicles. If you have a news item or feedback that you would like to share, email us at larasachronicles at kpfa.org. Buenos Aires será de madrugada, guardaré mansamente las cosas de vivir. Mi pequeña poesía que a dioses y de balas, mi tabaco, mi tango, mi puñado de Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. I'm Julieta Cusnid, and today we're very lucky to speak with Daniel Hernandez. He is the Mexico Bureau Chief from Mexico for Vice, and he has been doing a lot of great work there. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So, Daniel, keep getting more, more news and more information about how people are organizing and reacting to the recent news that the bodies of the 43 students were found, incinerated, and there's just been huge, huge, huge protests in the street. We'd love to hear from you what you've been seeing and hearing on the ground from your reporters and how things have been going down in Mexico in the last few days. There's been a lot of movement. So yes, as you mentioned, uh, Mexico's federal government on Friday said that it had evidence that the 43 young men who have gone missing now for uh, more than six weeks were incinerated in a large trash dump in the community next door to the city where they were kidnapped by local police officers and turned over to drug cartel executioners. And so this was obviously very shocking and very horrifying news for a lot of people, for journalists, for regular citizens, even for government officials themselves. This case sort of got to a fact of life that is difficult to convey in Mexico, that these kinds of attacks and cartel activity is so commonplace in so many regions of the country, and it really leaves normal citizens like these students, let's say, really in the crossfire to this kind of, and make them vulnerable to this kind of attack. So in response to this news, the protests and the demonstrations and the direct actions being led by the survivors of the attack, the students and the parents of the missing kids, were really ramped up this weekend on Saturday. They attacked once again the, the state government capital building in Chilpancingo, Guerrero. That's the capital of the state of Guerrero, the southern state of Guerrero. It's a very poor state. It's a state that where cartel operators cultivate marijuana and poppy leaf in order to create heroin. So it's a state where there's a lot of issues and a lot of problems that are evident all over the country are, are, are concentrated in one place. So demonstrations have gotten more serious and more intense. And for the first time, there was sort of a direct assault on a government building here in Mexico City. On Saturday night, protesters set fire to the front door. This is a door that's more than 150 years old of the National Palace. And uh, this door came to symbolize in a lot of ways for a lot of people that the situation is very tenuous and it's kind of up in the air. Some people were saying that the people who had set fire to the door might have been infiltrators. 
meant to damage the image of these protests that have been largely peaceful, at least here in Mexico City. And others have said the exact opposite, that people are really now expressing their rage and feel in a way that these kinds of attacks on government buildings could even be called legitimate in response to the state abuse that has been seen in these kinds of cartel murders. That's the voice of Daniel Hernandez. He is the Mexico Bureau Chief for Vice, which has been really doing some in-depth, deep coverage of this issue. And he is on the ground in Mexico. So, Daniel, you mentioned that there are questions. Are these pollos? Are these government infiltrators? I know that it's not just the students from Ayotzinapa. There's a lot of people who are taking to the streets. So who is out and what are so many of the other ways that folks are showing that they are not going to stand for this repression of of student movements or any kind of organizing? There is, of course, a long history of student activism in Mexico, ranging from more radical, more anarchist-leaning kind of attacks to the kind of massive demonstrations and just a show, a public demonstration of the numbers of people who have become indignant over this case in the kinds of big marches that we've seen down Paseo de la Reforma, which is the big grand avenue in Mexico City. Uh, Demonstrators have been filling up the Zocalo. I've really been seeing that it's a really diverse mix. There hasn't been one leader, one organizer, even one organizing group, although at each of these demonstrations, students from Ayotzinapa and parents of the missing Ayotzinapa students have always been at the front of these marches. But really, you see people coming out of office buildings in kind of suits and ties, uh, old ladies in wheelchairs, people that you sort of assume or imagine are from generations of past repression that have been seen in Mexico. And the situation that we're living right now makes me think, at least if you're familiar with Mexican history, recent Mexican history, of the incidents that occurred in 1968 leading up to the student massacre at the Tlatelolco Plaza and also the kinds of assassinations that are now linked historically to what is called the Dirty War period in Mexico, which extended virtually through the 90s. And Guerrero itself, this state, has been kind of at the forefront of social movements and even guerrilla movements that have emerged in Mexico. But so far, what we've seen, I would say, in the past six weeks since this happened, that the demonstrations have been diverse. There's been civil society. There have been students from other schools and colleges. And you can just kind of sense and see that, that people are really fed up And it was almost as if this Ayotinapa likely mass murder woke people up and was just kind of the case that typified for so many people the problems that are being seen here in Mexico. And many of the normalista, the student rural teachers, many don't believe that their compañeros uh, have been murdered and many think they're still alive. What are people pushing? And I know that there's just this, as you said, this typifies a lot of the violence that's happening up and down Mexico. But what are people calling for now? Well, yes. The students and the parents are basically saying, in a word, don't believe it. You know, in a few words, we don't believe that 43 young men are dead. And I think that's a natural response to the kind of shock in the morning that the parents are feeling. I mean, just trying to look at it as objectively as possible, I think the attorney general provided enough evidence to believe him. And at the same time, I'm finding myself having to respect, you know, obviously the parents and the students' perspective that until they see them alive, they're not going to let up. But the fact of the matter is, this part of Mexico, this part of Guerrero is littered with mass graves. I mean, Padre Alejandro Solalinde, this uh, human rights advocate, immigrant advocate, who's well-known now internationally, said it well in the first few days after this attack occurred, that all of Mexico is a mass grave. You can sense that this feeling is is spreading, but the question still is, I mean, what, what do we want, I guess? What do we want as a society in response to what is happening in Mexico right now? People are saying that, you know, everyone should resign. Every political figure who holds elected office should resign if he or she is unable to resolve these issues. I don't know what a mass resignation of everyone who is supposedly in charge of our public safety and security could do to help the problem. But that just gets to how complicated the problem is. Other people are saying that the right wing and and sort of more reactionary forces, the private sector are saying that there needs to be more police, more security, more training. Maybe people are even saying maybe there should be U.S. involvement. But for right now, there is at least kind of an outpouring of protests. The protests have even reached to um, arenas where normally you don't see protests. You know, at soccer games all this weekend, I was checking 
feeds on social media that were showing that people were holding up protest signs related to Ayotinapa in the stands of soccer games. You know, soccer games in Mexico are like football games in the United States. It's not the sort of environment or place or culture where you would see this kind of protest, and yet it's happening even in that kind of setting. So that is the question, I think, uh, that this is the crossroads that we're at as a country. Let's say, uh, in Mexico, what are we going to do in order to advocate for more justice and for less political violence and for less state-led violence, as the Ayotinapa massacre shows us is happening to this day in Mexico? That's the voice of Daniel Hernandez. He's the Mexico bureau chief at Vice News. So, Daniel, it is tough to get more nuanced, in-depth coverage that's really connecting the dots, not just to seeing this as an isolated incident, but really looking at the violence that's happening throughout Mexico. How can people stay up on the news that you are constantly putting out, and how can people really get a more full picture? You have a point. There is not the same kind of coverage for the conflict in Mexico, because I do think it's a conflict that has been running for many years now since the past president, Felipe Calderón, sent the military to the streets to fight the cartels. It has only led to more violence. It's only led to more civilian deaths. In fact, in the regions where the military is most active is where the violence and the kidnapping and the extortion and the kinds of mass murders that we're seeing are most reported. And so clearly militarizing the effort against drug cartels has not worked. It's failed, and yet it seems to still be supported by the United States and by the United States anti-drug agencies and by the U.S. government and even by the White House, of course. So I, mean, I think it's important for citizens who care about Mexico and the United States to be on, t- on top of it. I mean, I try to feed myself with social media feeds ranging from groups like Sinformémonos, uh, to Subversiones. Those are some agencies here locally that are run sort of collectively where people can see, at least see the images of these protests that are happening everywhere from Montevideo to Sao Paulo to Paris to London. I mean, even in India, I've seen photos of of people showing solidarity with the Ayotinaba students on social media. That's certainly one way, but also sort of just demanding more information locally wherever people are at, I think is useful. I mean, as much as The conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria are important to the United States. The fact of the matter is there are more Mexican nationals living in the U.S. than from any other country. And as a result of proximity that Mexico and the U.S. have and the immigration and the cycles of immigration, because really immigration is a thing that runs both ways and runs back and forth, there are more Americans now who have some kind of connection to Mexico, I think, than ever in these countries' sort of dual history as neighbors. And so I think it's important to, at least on my end, to try and keep people informed as much as I can about what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, and also just reporting what what other people are saying. I mean, I feel at this point that, you know, someone's tweet can often be as valid and get to the crux of an issue or of a problem or of a story as a person's tweet or statements on on Facebook or something like that, as a, a paid professional journalist like myself or someone with much more experience. I mean, at this point, the trustworthy sources are those that are just telling you the truth about what they are seeing from their perspective. And I think as as long as we're here covering this, at least on my part, I'm going to try and keep uh, doing that. Life, uh, as many of you probably know, is, you know, an alternative, kind of like a punk-ish magazine that's 20 years old now. Uh, Vice News is kind of like the little cousin that is trying to be a little more serious at least on the front of keeping people informed. So I work specifically for Vice News here in Mexico, and uh, you can go to news.vice.com, or you can follow me on Twitter. It's Long Drive South is my Twitter handle, and also Vice News on Twitter and on Facebook. Muchísimas gracias, Daniel. We hope to be able to check with you in the future, and we thank you for your important work. No problem at all. Thank you very much.
with breakfast done you fill my cup and love you madly oh I love you madly and you Shines bright, we get it on. I love you madly. Oh, I love you madly. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Julieta Cusnid, and you just heard the hauntingly beautiful voice of Irene Diaz. She was singing, I Love You Madly. This is a beautiful song that really will stick with you for a while. Irene, it's so great to have you on the line with us. Yes, thanks for having me. So, Irene, you are going to be coming to the Bay in just a couple weeks. You'll be here for El Encuentro del Canto Popular, the 33rd annual Encuentro, and it's going to be a really packed, wonderful lineup. You're playing on Saturday, November 22nd, along with some other great performers. We just heard I Love You Madly. Why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background? I mean, your voice just takes people away, and it's also composed in a way that is very nostalgic for a lot of us, but also pretty heartbreaking. Tell us a little bit about your influences and what made this song come to be. Well, it was one of my first, I don't want to say love songs, but it was one of the first songs that really got me attention through NPR and, you know, at a time when I was trying to find love and my mom was actually getting married. So I asked her a few questions and it kind of influenced the song as well. So that song is one of your first love songs. That's surprising to me because a lot of your songs seem to be love related. So yeah. is that something that has only recently become a big focus of your writing? Yeah, I mean, when I first started writing, a lot of my songs were just more about life. And I don't know what really switched my perspective on my songwriting. But I mean, it's been you know, cohesively just a bunch of love songs. And I love writing. And I think that's what's in me right now. We're speaking to Irene Diaz. She is going to be at El Encuentro del Canto Popular on November 22nd. She is a really wonderful singer, songwriter. Her voice is just takes you to a lot of different places. So why don't we let our listeners hear a little bit more of your singing? We're going to play Crazy Love. So tell us a little bit about this song. Crazy Love was actually inspired by my partner, Carolyn Cardoza. You know, she started playing a few chords and, you know, I started singing over it. But I think it's a song about our love. It's a song about everybody's love. And, you know, it, it's kind of like vows in a way. Like, I'll follow you through the bluest of days and I'll comfort you. You know, I'll always be there for you. You know, sing wedding vows. You know, I'm, I'm here for you through thick and thin. And so you've been playing music with your partner, Carolyn. Tell us a little bit about her role and you two playing together. You know, she really compliments me. When we first met, she didn't play with me. She actually didn't even really play the ukulele. She plays ukulele with me. She accompanies in that way. And, you know, one day I bought her ukulele. I think it was for her birthday. And so she started learning and then eventually, you know, I was kind of in need of someone playing with me also. I needed help, you know, trying to figure out the whole music business. And she had a little bit of experience, and so she kind of hopped on and was helping me. And she's been, you know, accompanying me ever since. And she's, I think she's a real natural at it, making little leads for some of my songs. And it's, it's been great working with her. And, you know, sometimes it gets crazy because, you know, we're in a relationship. And also, you know, we're doing music, and sometimes those two things, they kind of hit each other. <laughs> but all in all, it's it's been great. And it's nice to see two people that love each other sharing the stage when they're singing about love. So, th so that's, a, <laughs> that's a nice thing as an audience member. So, Irene Diaz, we're going to play Crazy Love.
just heard Crazy Love. That's the beautiful voice of Irene Diaz. She's also accompanied by Carolyn Cardoza, who is on ukulele. So this has been a crazy time for you, I bet, Irene. Last time you came here, you sold out in the Bay. You're getting all this attention across the nation. You're at South by Southwest. So there have been a lot of changes, I'm sure, in your life. How are you feeling about your music and where do you see yourself in terms of the types of music you're making? It has been going really well. I feel really blessed and I feel a lot of support from, I mean, a lot of different people. And right now, you know, I'm still writing. I was hoping to record, you know, an album, but it's, you know, kind of taking its time. It's been great meeting people and traveling and opening up to a whole different audience in different places. I just got back from Portland and Seattle and that was really great. But it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun also. And between music and my day job, it's kind of a balancing thing. You know, I'm not quite at that place where I want to be yet, but I'm getting there. So you will be at the Encuentro del Canto Popular November 22nd in San Francisco. So last time I got to see you play here in Oakland, you were doing some really interesting improvisational things with recording on stage and kind of using some different technology in your creation of music. You're someone who plays the piano and the guitar. What can people hope to see in your performance? You know, I play a lot of love songs and I hope to inspire them that anybody can do it. You know, you don't have to be, you know, this big person or anything. Push through all of it and share your art, share your talents and share your message. And for me, my message is love, you know, and caring for each other. And I just hope to inspire people. That's the voice of Irene Diaz, and she will be at El Encuentro del Canto Popular. We're going to leave people with the song Tricky Game, where you play the piano and really just take people on the, this very relatable adventure of talking about mm-hmm. love and how sometimes folks are a little mistreated and maybe don't have that same uh, golden rule that you just mentioned. So um, before we let people listen to that song, why don't you give folks some information about how they can stay up on all the work you're doing? Yeah, I mean, you can follow me. Um, my website is Irene Diaz Music, and there you'll find, like, my Facebook and Twitter, Instagram. You know, I'm always online. It's pretty easy to reach me. Thank you, Irene. So we're looking forward to seeing you here on yeah, November 22nd. And do you have anything to say to all your fans in the Bay? Um, I can't wait to bring you love songs. That's the voice of Irene Diaz, and we're going to go out with Tricky Game.
you're listening to La Rosa Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. This is Julieta Cusnid, and we are lucky to have two guests in the house. We have Diana Cervera, and we also have Joseph Rios. Thank you both for joining us. Diana, along with being a coordinator at La Peña, is a playwright, actress. She is a woman of the stage. And Joseph over here is a writer and poet and is now doing some exciting things with the stage work. So you both are here to talk about In La Quech, Palabras del Corazón, which is going to be happening on November 16th and is happening at La Peñas. In La Quech is Tu Eres Mi Otro Yo, You Are My Other Self and Maya. So tell us a little bit about why you created this and why it was so important to bring it here to the Bay. Yes, so this show was produced four times before in San Diego in Southern California at the University of California, San Diego, and began as a, as a project entitled Mujer Monologues, featuring the stories of women of color from across different cultural groups on campus that needed a place to express their stories and share their stories. The next year, it turned into In La Quech, which included the voice of hombres and just various women and just various people on the campus and even some high school students. And the reason I brought it to the Bay was to continue to spread and transmit that message of In La Quech by sharing our stories, by creating our stories, by enacting our stories as people of color. For me, it's a way to impart that spirit and that message of In La Quech to the audience and to the people present. A big part of In La Quech is the process is really, for me, I, I think I told the performers that the first few times and continue to say it, to me it's very important to build a collective spirit in the space. So it's not just a, a variety show. It's not a talent show. For me, it's very much paired with the process of getting to know one another, the other performers through story, through what you're sharing on stage and what it means to you. So that's something that I try to impart on the people performing and the people sharing their work, because for me, that's almost more important than what will be the audience's reaction and stuff. But my job as director, you know, is to fine tune that and to help people turn something that maybe was a poem before in how to create that into something that is staged, that is theatrical, how to use your body as an instrument to, to honor your story to the best extent. So this will be happening November 16th. So tell us a little bit about what will be happening and what people can see. So the show will be featuring about 15 performers. So there'll be some group pieces and it's all original work. So some group pieces and scenes. So there'll be some music. There'll be dance pieces as well. And it's all people of color and so people can expect to see just an array of different things, stories about migration, stories about love, stories about betrayal, etc. But they're all our stories and all important. The voice of Diana Cervera, she has put together this event, In La Quech, Palabras del Corazón, which is November 16th. We have in the house Joseph Rios, who is a part of this project. So Joseph, you are not someone who's done a lot of writing for stage, is that correct? Yeah, I've, this will be the first time I've written anything for the stage and have it'll also be the first time that I'm performing on the stage. And so Joseph Rios, tell us about some of the issues that you tackle in your piece. Um, well, the character is uh, is uh, loosely, I'll say loosely based on myself. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty much me. And, uh, uh, <laughs> and it, that does have problems with it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a student who's uh, from the Valley like me, went to Berkeley like me, and came into this this world, this socially conscious world of Berkeley, and um, and into activism, and began to ask himself what what does it mean to be a man, a socially conscious man, and to be in a relationship with a woman, and to both be trying to figure out and navigate how to deal with each other when you when you're when you have this new knowledge that tells you. How you should or how you were taught to be as a man or a woman is wrong, and then the very serious complications that could come from being with somebody in that early stage when you're trying to figure all that out. So the the character is is trying to trying to figure that out for himself and his partner as well. Are, are they're trying to figure it out and and seeing if there's a happy ending in it for them. And uh, and I guess you have to see it to figure that out. 
That's the voice of Joseph Rios talking about his debut on the stage. It's an exciting time. He's going to be sharing his piece on the stage at La Peña on November 16th as part of In La Quesh, Palabras del Corazón. So, Diana Cervera, you put this all together. You're the director. We heard a little bit about Joseph Rios's piece and we got to hear a little bit about what he tackled. So what are other things people are going to see? For answering that, there's also, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of some of the things that people aren't going to see or people things that people don't get to see about this process when sharing stories that at times can be very personal and be very charged with pain, be very charged with trauma at times. And, and just getting to the point where you can stand up and speak the words is very different from reading it or, or having someone else read something you've written. So um, I just wanted to mention that too, all the work that, the, that, that all the poets, musicians, that everyone involved has been doing and, and just give some, just also give a shout out to Ramona Rodriguez Brooks, who is stage managing with me and has produced the show with, along with me for the past four years in San Diego. And now we're randomly up here together in the Bay Area. But some other things that people can expect to see, the piece that I will be doing is called Latina Heat, and it explores themes of like sexuality, the Latina experience uh, as, as like Joseph's piece, as we were taught, you know, through our culturas, and then how that manifests in its embodied form. Um, you know, so it's the story of a girl named Alicia kind of navigating a space of wanting to to be a star in essence, and it's just kind of like this this magical world that comes to the stage. So there's a novella, there's a, there's like a Saudo Gigante spectacular scene. So, and there's a lot of other um, pieces that incorporate dancing, that incorporate some themes that might be more abstract. So I think there's a lot of interesting things to, to look for in the show. So Diana, this show is happening in La Peña. I know it's not happening for a lot of nights. So give people the info. First of all, where is La Peña? How can they get tickets to the show? What do they need to know to make sure they don't miss it? Yeah, so the show will be happening, like Julieta said, November 16th. Doors will be at 6.30. The show will start at 7 p.m. And you can get tickets through our website at lapena.org. There's the link to the Eventbrite. And so right now, prior to the show, tickets are $8. And the, the day of the show, tickets will be $10. And is there a place where they can go to find out more? They can come into La Peña, but really everything is on the website. Just everything that the show will include, who's going to be in the show, everything like that is all on the lapena.org calendar. So how do you spell that? What's La Peña? The website doesn't have the enye, so it's L-A-P-E-N-A dot org. Thank you. That's the voice of Diana Cervera. She is here representing La Peña. She's also coming to us as a director, as a writer, as an actress. We also have in the house Joseph Rios. He is a longtime writer who is now trying his hand at doing some theater. This is an exciting opportunity to see his first time on stage, and we're going to get to see a lot of other exciting actors and actresses and dancers and other performers at this event. So thank you so much. Muchísimas gracias a ustedes dos por estar aquí con nosotros y esperemos verlos de nuevo pronto. Le tocó a Saturno, turno entre tu mirada, pues con telescopio, copio en sí lo que retrata, trata de que yo alucine, cine. Nunca tu palabra labra a mi sentimiento. Y es que tu planeta, neta, siendo paraíso, hizo todo el universo, verso. Una mariposa posa sobre tu cabello, bello, porque tu tardanza, danza, hace una atadura. 
Mientras yo a Cupido pido que entre mis compases pases a dejar de hacer en este hueco To La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Cusnir, and I am really excited to be on the phone all the way from Mexico with, for me, one of the new musicians that has really impacted my life and really just taking over so much of my brain because his lyrics are beautiful, his sound is incredible, and really just has a new flavor, even though he sounds so familiar and comforting. We're talking about David Aguilar. You probably already knew that. David Aguilar is going to be part of El Encuentro del Canto Popular, which is happening here in the Bay. It's happening at the Brava Theater. And we are so happy to be able to speak with you, David. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Hi to, to everybody. So, David, we just heard a beautiful song, Echo. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this song they just heard? Yes, it's a kind of lyric game. It's an, an old song. I wrote it in 2005, and it, it's like, like an, an experiment with the words, with the sound of the words and with the rhyme, because every, every sentence has its rhyme. It's influenced by Mauricio Diaz. He's a, a Mexican composer, too. I'm influenced with, in that song by Mauricio Diaz. And, and I don't know, it's, it's my famous song. This is definitely one of your big hits. It's a song that a lot of people recognize and know. Exactly. You are a singer-songwriter, and you write your lyrics, and you're someone who has done an incredible job playing the guitar and telling stories through not just your composition, but also through your whistling. Tell us about some of the many ways that you have grown and developed as a musician. I become of, of a, from a musical, from a very musical family. My father is a composer too, and my mom and my sisters, everybody sings in, in my home. <laughs> Since I was a kid, I started to sing in in the school and 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 I was always surrounded by instruments and in my house it's like a very musical family and I I just came to Mexico City to study to study contemporary music here in Academia de Musica Fermata I started to write songs uh, when I was 15 16 something like that I feel like I I discovered the magic of the songwriting when I came to live in Mexico City. It's just a, a, a big, a, a wonderful world to me because I liked poetry when I, when I was a teenager. And I, and I felt, mm -hmm. I felt like, like I could match words and music in songs. So that's why, I'm, why I am a singer-songwriter. That's the voice of David Aguilar. He is a beautiful singer-songwriter, and he truly is a poet, along with being a very incredible musician. So the reason we are so lucky to get to speak with him today is that he will be part of the 33rd Encuentro del Canto Popular, which is a two-day festival that's happening in, just around the corner, and it is going to be happening in a way that is really going back to its roots. It started with the Trova tradition. It started with música que realmente hablaba más de solo fiesta era más introspectiva and really related to much of what you're talking about which is poetry so the two nights of the encuentro which we recommend folks make it to both the first one is friday november 21st and Alejandro y María Laura, Tito Auger, and Rupa April Fishes will be there. And on Saturday, November 22nd, David Aguilar will be there, along with Irene Diaz and Locura. So, David Aguilar, we also want to share with our listeners another song, La Cumbia de la Bicicleta, which is a very fun song. Um, why don't you tell our listeners about this song? I wrote it because I, I wanted to promote the bicycle transporting and I just love bicycles, and I think they have a, a huge role in, in into the safe of the environment. I don't know. Here in Mexico City, a lot of people use bikes to to do everything in in, in their days, and I don't know. I wanted to to 
to make a, a, a cumbia. It's like a cumbia style, inspired in col- Colombian music. Maybe, maybe too in, in the in the music from from Monterrey, Monterrey, Mexico, and it's Latin. It's a Latin song. It's a kind of social song because of the of the use of the bicycle. You know? And I think that much of our listeners are going to identify with their love of bicycles and their love of cumbia. So your song really tells a story of not just why you enjoy it, but all the many, many benefits of riding a bike. You wrote that story in DF, in la Ciudad de México? Yes, I'm living here. So that's a city that really just in the last few years, there's been so much more bike riding. So... Um, we'll we'll yeah. credit your song with that. Um, I'm, I'm glad about it. <laughs> um, de broma, digo en broma. So so we have had the pleasure to speak with David Aguilar. A lot of people listening who maybe are hearing your music for the first time are going to want to hear a lot more. So how can people stay connected to your music? I have a website. It's davidaguilar.mx. And I'm in Twitter as El David Aguilar. And I'm in Facebook at facebook.com slash El David Aguilar. El David, El David Aguilar MX. So, David, vas a estar aquí. You'll be here for November 22nd, the closing show here for El Encuentro del Canto Popular, which is part of Acción Latina's Benefit concert. Yes, I'm performing, I'm performing November 22nd, and I'm, I'm very happy because I'm going to share with, with other artists, great artists that I haven't known yet, but I have listened to their music, and I'm proud that I'm, going, that I'm performing that day with them in San Francisco. And I have a lot of friends in there, so I'm very excited about it. Well, the San Francisco Bay Area is looking forward to welcoming you back. We saw you come here with Kevin Johansson and play with him and do some incredible whistling. I mean, I can't stop talking about your whistling. And so hopefully, maybe, will we be able to hear some whistling on the 22nd? Of course, of course. In fact, when I was playing in, in that in Kevin Johansson's show, <laughs> some guy came to me and, and said, hey, I don't know what you're talking about, man, but your whistle is great. <laughs> well, muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros, David Aguilar, directo del EF de México, y va a estar aquí por el Encuentro del Canto Popular. He'll be here on the 22nd of November, and I recommend people buy tickets now because it is selling out. Muchísimas gracias, David. Thank you very much, Julia. Muchas gracias. Cada giro de la estrella le da cuerda a la paciencia en la resistencia ante el flujo vial. Tal vez lo más progresista pueda ser lo más sencillo cual dos tobillos sobre un pedal. Cuando la ciudad va llena, una noble maquinaria en la vida diaria podrá ayudar. Y es un cuadro equilibrado y que se echa a andar tan solo con los alveolos al respirar. Me hallaré pedaleando en el viaje de allá para acá, que nos vayan dejando un carril para nosotros ya. Puede darte varios cambios, del manubrio a los pedales hay muchos males por reducir. Siempre hay estacionamiento, matas el estrés un rato y es más barato, dímelo a mí. Vámonos bajando panza, vámonos librando venas con la cadena que hace fluir. Vámonos al teatro en bici, a la chamba y a la escuela, hasta el bicinema o hasta de aquí. Te hallaré pedaleando en el viaje de allá para acá, que nos vayan dejando un carril para nosotros ya. Anda en bici la banda, porque tiene su qué sé yo, cada vez más demanda. Porque es mágica, poco no Ya subase a la bici, compa Trépese a la de montaña La bici urbana, la bici cross Lléguele a la bicicleta 
Ya de menos a la eléctrica o a la estática, ya no hay tos. Llegaré pedaleando. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. It's my pleasure today to have in the studio Patricia Rodriguez, who you've heard here before as artist and curator, and again, she's artist and curator, and Maria Martinez, who's our first-time guest, and she is an expert in textile arts, and they're here to talk about Hilos de Amor, the Threads of Love. Bienvenidos, Patricia. Gracias, Nina, for having us today. We're here to announce the Hilos de Amor, which is a wonderful exhibition, sale, auction, uh, celebration, one day only, November 15th, this coming Saturday. It's beautiful, handmade with pilés and textiles from Mexico and Guatemala. And the collection items are marked as community prices, payment plans available, benefiting the Instituto Familiar de la Raza in the Mission, who's been there for many, many years, and Chicana Latina Foundation, a very important organization helping young ladies get to the university. And Maria Martinez, it's you who've collected all these things. Can you tell us about them? Sure. It's mostly textiles that I have been collecting for probably 20 years in my travels to Mexico. And so there's 170 items. So Maria Martinez, tell us about how you got all these materials together and what they are. Well, I have been collecting these items for over 20 years. When I lived in Mexico and in my travels, I collect art. And I was introduced to the beauty and the history of textiles, the textile artists, Uh, in the indigenous communities in Mexico by meeting a number of these indigenous artists, and specifically the Masawa from the state of Mexico and the Otomi from Puebla. And I also live in Oaxaca some of the year, and so I've collected a lot of the beautiful textiles from there and also uh, from Guatemala. So these textiles have been sewn into garments? Yes, these mostly they are huipiles. There are some embroideries for the wall, rebosos, and... I see some jewelry pictures. Coming into the benefit, which is just one night, we do have an entrance fee, and part of it is there's a raffle, and there are five items, and there is a beautiful necklace made by Maria Pinedo, Mata Ortiz Pot, Reboso, and and other items. So there's mm-hmm. a raffle mm-hmm. and the entrance fee. So where is this money going? So all of the money is going to two organizations, Instituto Familiar de la Raza and the Mission has been serving uh, the community for over 35 years, as well uh, the Chicana Latina Foundation, who's also been in the community for over 35 years. And uh, there are two organizations very dear to me, and Estela Garcia and Olga Talamante, who run both those organizations. And I hatched up this idea probably years ago as I started thinking about reducing what I have on the planet and trying to give it away. And so we thought it would be a beautiful way for the women in our community who normally can't afford these textiles to be able to get them, to be able to have access to them. So, Patricia, can you remind us again where and when and the time? It's at the Galeria de la Raza on 24th Street and Bryant. And it starts at uh, 4.30 with a blessing. Uh, Sales begin at 5.00. At 6 is the program, at 6.30 is the auction, and the whole sales event ends at 9. And it's at the Galeria La Raza, Saturday the 15th. And that's Hilos de Amor, the Threads of Love. Well, it sounds like a very beautiful event, and I hope that both organizations that are so deserving get their funds. I know that the Chicana Latina Foundation gives scholarships to women, something very important to La Raza Chronicles. (laughs) So thank you both for coming. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Un placer. the Cronicas de la Raza calendar. There'll be a vigil to demand justice in memory of the martyred Salvadoran Jesuit priests and the two women killed with them in 1989. The memorial vigil will be held on November 14th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at Mission and 24th Street in San Francisco. 
On Saturday, November 15th, the San Francisco Revolutionary Poets Brigade is holding an all-day event of talk, poetry, and discussion called Overthrowing Capitalism, featuring former poet laureate Jack Hirschman. All are welcome at the Emerald Tablet Gallery in North Beach in San Francisco. And on November 17th at noon, there'll be a meeting to demand that the California College Board of Governors of City College of San Francisco be immediately restored. People are carpooling at 10 a.m. by the Chasing Lions Cafe at the multi-use building on the San Francisco City College Ocean Campus. And on November 23rd at the Brava Theater in San Francisco, poet Gary Soto's play will be performed by the San Francisco Youth Theater. For more information, go to brava.org. And also on November 15th, there will be the Howard Zinn Book Fair, the first annual Howard Zinn Book Fair, and it will be held as an all-day event from 10 in the morning till 8.30 at night at Mission High School in San Francisco, featuring many, many vendors of books and poetry and an evening plenary session at Mission High School. And on Saturday, November 22nd, at the Answer Coalition office on Mission Street, there will be an exclusive film showing of the movie Huachil, documenting the struggles of the indigenous people of Mexico, particularly the Huachil, who are the guardians of Peyote. This has been La Raza Chronicles Calendar of Events. to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. To listen to this program again or share it with friends, go to soundcloud.com. Be sure to also like us on Facebook to receive updates and information related to the show. Join us next week for more news, discussions, arts, culture, and music con un sabor latino. Hasta la próxima. Hasta la próxima.